This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.com. Good morning, First Pres. We'll have two readings this morning uh, in preparation for our sermon, and our first reading comes from the Old Testament. We'll be in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. As you see in your bulletins, Leviticus chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side, and in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, and all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanliness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanliness of the people of Israel. And then our scripture reading today, uh, from which we'll hear our sermon be a slight adjustment from what we see in our bulletins will be in Hebrews 4, 14 through 5, 10. Here we read, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. 
Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also to also in another place, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through, uh, through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Hear the word of the Lord. Good morning. If you have your copy of God's word, I would ask you to have it open there to Hebrews 10, uh, verses, verses 14. Um, through 510, and that whole section we're doing together rather than in two parts. And so just before we dive in, let's take a moment and pray. Father, as we come into your house, we come to hear from you. Lord, our lives are needful and hungry for the help and the restoration that you and you alone can provide. The world is a difficult place, Lord, and as we live in it, Oftentimes we are influenced by it, Uh, it drags us down, it it is wearisome, but Lord, we know there is hope, there is strength, there is perfection in you. And so, Lord, we cling to you this morning. Our eyes are fixed upon you, our ears are ready to hear your word, and we pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear, that we would have hearts to receive. God, we pray for those in our congregation that are struggling those who are battling physical ailments, those who are battling emotional issues, those who are battling spiritual battles, Lord. I pray that you would go before each need, each person. I pray that they would experience the freedom that you and you alone provide. I pray, Lord, that I would be your mouthpiece this morning. I pray that I would get out of the way and that the people would hear from you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would change us For as only you can do, Lord, we need you. And we ask you to work in this hour. We pray this, believing you will do even better than we know how to ask or pray. We pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Whenever we go through something, it always helps to have someone who's at least sympathetic. Can I get an amen to that? Having somebody who's sympathetic to our pain. However... It's much better to actually meet somebody who has already gone through what we are going through. And we've seen the fact that they've come through on the other side. When we discover that person, what do we want to do? We want, we want to learn from them. We want to be with them. We want, to, we want to lean upon them. Which of us hearing that we are having surgery doesn't want the opportunity to speak to someone who's having the same surgery or has had the same surgery? to gain insight, to gain information, to understand how the rehab went. If this is true of physical ailments, which require procedures or surgeries, 
is equally true when we face emotional or spiritual trials, which requires spiritual introspection and determination. Having someone who knows our struggles, someone who feels our pain, is truly a gift, isn't it? Which requires, ultimately, a blessing from God. See, having someone who's already walked in our shoes, someone who's able to lead us, someone who's able to advocate on our behalf, this is what a true blessing is. And this is exactly what God has provided in the person of Jesus Christ, in the role of high priest. One who advocates, one who feels, one who has already walked the path that we ourselves are now facing. And so far in the book of Hebrews, we've seen a calling back of a people who are wandering away from the truth. They're wandering into error. See, what they're doing is they're choosing to abandon Christianity and to go back to their earlier ways of Judaism. That's what the book of Hebrews is really written about. And what's interesting is that in this letter, we see the writer of Hebrew showing something. He's showing us that Jesus is better than. Jesus is better than the prophets of old, we've read. Jesus is better than the angels, we've read. Jesus is better than Moses, we've read. And now this morning, we're considering that Jesus is better, the best high priest. Let's take a look. Uh, The high priestly ministry we actually see in chapter 5 as it's described. And I I want you to kind of shift your eyes down to chapter 5, and you begin to see that a high priest is a special calling. A high priest is a calling that requires an appointment. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. For every high priest is chosen from among men. Skip down to verse 4, and it goes on to say, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So let's be clear. Moses could not choose Aaron. The angels could not choose someone. Only God could make the appointment. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 1, God actually tells Moses to bring Aaron and his sons to him. For they will be set apart to serve as priests. Later on, there's this great rebellion known as Korah's Rebellion. We find it in Numbers chapter 16 where a group of individuals are upset that Moses and Aaron are getting, in a sense, special treatment. And God does something there. God tells Moses to take the rods of the different tribes and to bring it to him. And to take Aaron's rod and write Levi on it and to bring it. And it was Aaron's rod out of all the rods that budded. What was God doing there? God was giving proof of his selection. And by doing so, God quieted the rebellion. The point is simple. God is the selector of those who will serve him. It's a special calling, this calling of high priest. It's one that's given by appointment. But this special calling is about service. Go to the second half of verse 1 of chapter 5. We read these words, to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To act on behalf of men in relation to God. See, the high priest stood as an in-between. He stood in between sinful man and a holy God. This high priest represented man before God. It's important we understand that the words here are spoken, what they're really saying. 
See, the role of high priest was one of representative. The high priest was a representative of the people. He acted on behalf of men before God. In 5.1, again, we see a little more about this special calling of service. This role was to offer gifts of sacrifice for sins. See, a priest was to make sacrifices for the people's sins. But not only the people's sins, as we read in Leviticus, also their own sins. The ministry is one that is very necessary. Because without the sacrifice, man could have no relationship with God. And if the high priest was to stand in between God and man, the ministry of this sacrifice was absolutely necessary. The high priest was walking with the people. Look at verse 3. He deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Why? Since he himself is beset with weakness. The high priest's role was, was to walk with the people, to instruct the people, to guide the people. And how was he to do it? In gentleness. Especially as he himself knows the battle. See, the calling of high priest was a true gift to the people of Israel. It was one in which God selected who would serve him. It was one of service where they stood in behalf of the people before God. It was one where they offered gifts and sacrifices to God on their behalf. It was one where they were dealt with gently in their weaknesses and their waywardness. Friends, who doesn't want someone to walk with them in their struggle? When God provided the high priest in the Old Testament, God was providing something absolutely amazing. But one of the things that stands out as we see and read through the Bible is that the men who served as high priests, they left much to be desired, didn't they? And what do we know about Aaron? Aaron, even after this special calling in Exodus 28, what does he do? He builds the golden calf. He leads the people into sin. The high priest failed the people. No longer standing in between, but acting as a sinner himself. But Aaron wasn't alone. You turn to the New Testament, I just choose one name, Caiaphas. Caiaphas, the high priest in the New Testament, what did he do? He took Jesus Christ, the sinless one, and nailed him to a tree. He wanted Jesus dead. The examples we have in Scripture of these high priests is failure. With such hopes, the people came. They looked to the high priest as one who would stand in their place, one who would care for them, one who would serve them. And all these high priests did was fail them. That's the picture of the high priest in the Bible. But friends, there's good news. Jesus is the better high priest. Jesus is the better high priest. As we will see, Jesus is the better high priest because Jesus is the one in whom we long for. See, all the other priests were just foreshadows and types of what the high priest would do, preparing us for the one who would come. As Galatians says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. For what purpose? To redeem. That's why Jesus came. We read of Jesus' appointment in chapter 5, verse 5. It says, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, 
But it actually says, but he was appointed. He was appointed by him. That's a reference to the Father. It goes on in verse 5 to say this, by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Notice this is a direct quote from Psalm 2. But in this, ultimately, the writer of Hebrews is quoting to say, Jesus is the better high priest. He was appointed by the Father because he is the Father's Son. The Son is the Father's choice to be our representative. And yet, verse 6 also tells us about this appointment. This appointment of Jesus that says, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's a direct quote from Psalm 110. It's interesting information. It it tells us that Jesus' priestly connection is not through the line of Levi like Aaron. No, his connection is through this mysterious character known as Melchizedek. And who is that? Melchizedek was the one in whom Abraham paid tribute in the book of Genesis. Melchizedek is the one who seems to have no end. He seems to have just been. But he was a priest. Pictures Jesus well. As Jesus was appointed by God the Father, and Jesus' priestly ministry would last forever. That's why Jesus' ministry is far better. He's been appointed by God the Father as his son to be our high priest. His ministry would last forever. What did his ministry look like? Well, Jesus perfectly stands in between. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, to act on behalf of men in relation to God. That's the ministry of the high priest. Look at the description in chapter 4, verse 14 of Jesus. The description of him is Jesus, the Son of God. You see that in verse 14? Jesus, the Son of God. Interesting, two titles are given there. Jesus, that's his man title. Because he was 100% man. But notice he's also called the Son of God. That's his divine title. As he stands, he is fully God. Jesus is truly the best to stand in between. Because Jesus is both God and man. He's the one who stands in between. He's the one who truly, as man, understands our struggles. Because he is fully man. And yet, he understands the holiness of God in a way that no mere man ever could because he is fully God. He is such a better high priest. That's the picture the writer of Hebrews wants you to see. Jesus is such a better high priest. His appointment, his service. One may ask, well, what about him dealing gently? Well, it's true. As a priest, he's to deal gently with our ignorance and our weakness. Look at verse 15 of chapter 4. This is what we read of Jesus' service there. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and get this, yet without sin. He's been tempted in every respect. He understands every temptation. He understands every trial, every affliction, and yet he never sinned. Now, some of you may say, well, how can he know my sufferings if he's never sinned? To which this has been the answer. Who suffers more? The one who gives in 
or the one who continues to hold out. Jesus never gave in. Jesus suffered extremely for the church. One commentator puts it this way. He says, sometimes we assume that those who have fallen into a particular sin are the ones best able to understand and help others. After all, there's repentance and, of, and there's movement, of course. But Scripture seems to suggest that those who've known the full force of a particular temptation and yet have stood firm are really the best counselors. If, of course, they retain humility and understand that their victory comes by grace, which Jesus, of course, personified. Hence, what are we saying? Jesus is the best high priest because he never sinned, and yet he suffered. Look at verse 8 of chapter 5. It says he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience through what he suffered. His struggle against temptation was real. But understand this, Jesus never sinned. Jesus finished the course of suffering that was set before him. This included not only being the one who offers the sacrifice, but by actually being the sacrifice. How much better is Jesus' ministry? See, church, understand, Jesus is the better high priest. He knows our every pain. And he meets our every pain with love. He never leaves us in our pain. But what does he do? He helps and he heals. Our own confession of faith helps us here. The Westminster Confession in chapter 20 actually talks about the benefits of Jesus' priestly ministry. Let me me read it to you. The benefits that you gain because Jesus is your high priest. The liberty for which Christ has purchased for believers under the gospel, consist of their freedom from the guilt of sin. Amen. Their condemnation of the wrath of God. Praise God. The curse of the moral law. And in their being delivered from this present evil world, even the bondage to Satan. The dominion of sin over them. For evil afflictions, the sting of death, the victory over the grave, the everlasting damnation, these we have all experienced victory over and benefits of because of Jesus. But it continues. As also in their free access to God, their yielding obedience to Him. Do you hear that? We have access to God. And now we actually can live obediently to Him because of the Holy Spirit who works in us. And we do it Not out of a slavish fear, it says, but a childlike love of gratitude, a willing mind. That's the description. What a beautiful picture of all that we gain because of the high priestly ministry of Jesus. What a blessing. That's the point that the writer of Hebrews would have us see. Jesus is truly a blessing for you. Jesus is a wonderful high priest. What's interesting here is that the writer of Hebrews doesn't just simply walk away from this information. I want you to see what the writer of Hebrews does with this information. Back in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Since then we have such a great high priest 
who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, look what he calls you to do. He's, he's giving you an invitation. He's saying, let us hold fast our confession. Because you have this Jesus, because you have this benefit of this high priest, what should you do with it? Hold fast to Jesus. Notice the idea of holding fast. It's to cling to. It's to, it's to not give up or to let go, but to cling to. And what is it we're to cling to? To our confession. Our confession is our statement of faith. It's what we believe, specifically, according to the writer of Hebrews, what we believe about Jesus being better than everything else. Cling to Jesus, he says. The invitation is to cling to that confession. The writer of Hebrews will actually, in chapter 6, verse 19, describe Jesus in a different way. In chapter 6, verse 19, it describes Jesus as the anchor of our soul. And as the anchor of our soul, he calls us to cling to that anchor. As in, that anchor is where our security is. We're to cling to that anchor. And understand where that anchor is firmly put. The anchor isn't in the rivers of the, of the tribulation waters. That's not where the anchor is. No, the anchor is firmly gripped in the glory of heaven. We're to cling to that in the midst of our trials. The glory of heaven where Christ is. Friends, isn't that where Jesus is? In the glory of heaven. And how do we know he's there? Because of the empty tomb. How do we know he's there? Because of the ascension. How do we know he's there? Because he sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Cling to the anchor. Hold firm to the anchor. Jesus is a better high priest. And the writer says something else. His invitation continues in verse 16 of chapter 4. He says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. He goes on to say that we might receive mercy that we might find grace to help in the time of need. See, drawing near is only possible because of what Jesus, our high priest, has done. It's only possible because of what our representative, Jesus Christ, has done for us by standing in between, by making sacrifice for our sin, by walking with us in gentleness and mercy. But hear this, we're called, we're invited to draw in, to draw near. And where are we to draw near? But to where he is. As the anchor pictures, rooted in heaven. We're to draw near to the throne, the throne of God, the throne we have access to because of our high priest. And note when we're called to draw near. According to verse 16, draw near in your time of need. Church, I know each and every one of us in this room have times of need. And the writer of Hebrews says, draw near in your time of need. Draw near in the midst of your struggle. Draw near in the midst of your suffering. Draw near in the midst of your pain. 
See, that's the blessing of having such a high priest. One who calls us to draw near. And why do we draw near? Because it's the place where we'll find mercy and grace. Isn't Jesus sweet? Isn't his high priestly ministry so much better than anything else we could look to? Isn't Jesus wonderful? Church, we need to praise Jesus, the Son of God. We need to truly be thankful and have hearts of gratitude that we have a representative, a better high priest, who makes all of this possible. What a wonderful passage encouraging us in our walk and the struggles and the hardships of life. Yes, we all want someone to walk with us in our hardships. Yes, we all want someone to be there in our suffering. But which of us would not want the one who is better to be with us? Who would not want the one who is better? And friends, the one who is better is Jesus. Cling to him. Draw near to him. For he is far better. May I say this? Jesus, as our high priest, he truly knows exactly what you're going through. And Jesus, as your high priest, he has the ability and the desire to bring you to safety on the other side. That's a promise from Scripture. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Don't run back to those religious traditions of Judaism. Cling to Jesus. Don't abandon the better high priest. Church, understand this. Jesus loves you. Jesus truly loves you. He cares deeply for you in all of your struggles, in all of your affliction, in all of your pain. The call is simple. Hold fast. Hold fast to him. Draw near to him. Do this in your time of need. Let's pray. Father, as we close, we just ask your presence upon us. Life is hard, but Jesus is so much sweeter. May we cling to him. May we hold fast to him. May we draw near to him and find the grace and mercy that he alone can provide. We pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.com.